Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's happening here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the message. Morning, everybody. Did you love that little old church band from Texas there? So I uh, appreciate them. Good to see all of you. Before I get into what I want to talk to you about, I wanted to uh, ask us to go to prayer for all of those people across the country who are affected by those tornadoes, people up through uh, Kentucky and so many other areas. We have a lot of people in our church who have family members and friends that have been impacted by that. So I think it'd be appropriate for us just to hit the pause button a minute and let's remember to pray for those people. Let's do that now. Father, we just thank you that we know you are a God who cares about us even when we don't understand the things in life that we go through. And we lift up all of those folks who have been devastated by those storms. We in Texas certainly get that. And I pray you will provide comfort and provision for them. I pray they'll feel the love and support of their fellow countrymen and community. And I pray, Father, that as a church, we'll be faithful to remember them in prayer during this particular season. Bless our time together. We ask this in your name. Amen. This morning, we're continuing our series called A Sounding Joy. And in this series, we're talking about ways whereby you can kind of fight off the holiday blues. It's a real thing. The holiday blues are people who really, during this season of the year, fight off a lot of uh, sadness and a lot of difficulty. Uh, in fact, mental health experts have identified the difference between holiday blues and something they call um, uh, uh, sad um, affective disorder, SAD, sad affective disorder, which is a continual, continuous kind of a depression that happens to people. It seems to get ratcheted up during this time of the year. But they say the difference between those two is if it continues after the holiday season ends, then you need to reach out to someone and you need to get help from someone. And so I would just tell you as I go into my talk this morning, if you're someone who is kind of struggling a little bit, even beyond the normal holiday blues that you kind of fight off from time to time, you find yourself being sad more often than not, then just swallow your pride and be willing to reach out to someone. We're a great way, we're a great resource here at our church to help you get help. And I would encourage you to do that. Because there are a lot of people, as I say, that really struggle with these blues during the holidays. I, I, last weekend, I, or the second weekend out, I talked about dealing with sorrow. The fact that many of you guys are not going to have someone who was with you last Christmas that will be with you this Christmas. Uh, might have been a divorce. It may be the death of someone. It might have just uh, been someone who just walked out of your life and you're going to be struggling a little bit. And we talked that first weekend out about that reality. We said, that's just a reality we need to talk about. And I told you guys, if you can change the way you see it, um, if you can change your perspective, it will help you deal with the sorrow that can come to the, with the holiday season. Uh, it's perspective. Uh, the, the reality is you don't see things as they are as much as you'll see things as you are. So if you can get yourself into a better place with a better mindset to see what you're going through or see what you've been through in a different way, then it will help you fight off the holiday blues. Uh, what helps me is to realize there is a God. He is in control. I don't always agree with the things that he does, but his way is perfect. He has a plan for my life as he does yours. And at the end of the day, here it is, he can be trusted. And when you have that perspective, it kind of helps you navigate through the difficulties of the blues during the season, through the sorrow of the season. Then I talked last weekend about stress. 
oh my, this season brings on a lot of stress for a lot of people, financial stress, family stress. I mean, there's just a lot of stress associated with the season. And we talked last weekend about how do you deal with the stress of the season? And we looked at Philippians 4, where Paul said, don't worry, don't stress, don't be anxious about anything. And then he gave us the, the, the secret. He said, connect everything you stress about to prayer and let those petitions be made known to God. So I would say if you're struggling with some anxiety this morning, you're fighting off some stress today, you're dealing with some worrisome thoughts today, then connect what you worry about to what you pray about. Because the Bible says the payoff in Philippians 4 is the peace of God, God will bring his peace into your life. You, you know, I told you the devil's not after, he's not after your job. The devil's not after your career. He's not after your spouse. He doesn't want your car. He doesn't want your house. He's not after your kids. You don't want them half the time. Listen, the, the devil is after your peace of mind. Because if he can get your peace of mind, if he can get how you think about things, he'll get your house, he'll get your kids, he'll get your spouse, he'll get everything else connected with you if he can get your mind. So how do you get your mind right? You connect the things you stress about through prayer, all right? So we said, not worry, change your perspective, don't stress, instead pray. This weekend, I wanna take the next step, and I wanna to say to your heart, if you're fighting off the holiday blues, then I wanna challenge you to get outside of yourself and serve someone. It's hard to stay in a funk. It's hard to stay down. It's hard to uh, just kind of wallow in the blues when you are serving someone, when you're kind of getting outside of yourself and you're doing for someone else. Listen to what mental health, the Mental Health Foundation said after a recent study. Evidence shows that helping others, getting outside yourself, serving, helping others benefits our own mental health and well-being. Listen to what they say. It can reduce stress, improve your mood, better your self-esteem, and improve happiness. When you get outside yourself, now this is not a religious study, this is a mental health study. And they're talking about the incredible psychological, physiological value of getting outside of you and helping someone else. You remember when Jesus came on the scene in Matthew chapter 20, he said, look, the son of man did not come to be served, but he said, I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Jesus set the greatest example for you and us, you and I today. He set the example by serving other people. He said, my life is about a life of service. In fact, I heard about a woman who called a friend and she asked her friend, how you're doing? How are you feeling today? And her friend said, terrible. My head's hurting, my back and legs are killing me, the house is a mess, the kids are out of control, and the caller said, hey, go lie down right now, go lie down. I'm coming to your house right now, I'm gonna cook, I'm gonna clean, I'm gonna take care of your kids until your husband Sam gets home. And the woman said, I, I don't have a husband named Sam. And then the woman realized, oh, I must have dialed the wrong number. And there was a long pause and she said, you're still coming over, right? I'm just saying, you don't have to know someone to serve someone. Everyone is blessed and everyone is helped when you serve someone. I read an interesting statistic in church world. It surveyed 5,000 churches nationwide and they were asked the question, what is the number one need in that particular church? Now these are 5,000 churches, every shape, size, every stripe, 5,000 churches. The number one response was to get more people who are members of the church 
involved in the ministry of the church. In other words, getting people to realize I have a role to play. There's something that I can do. There's a, a contribution that I can make. Uh, it, it's getting them to not think as a spectator, but to think more as a participant. And they said, that's the greatest need. Well, I thought about that, and I don't deny that. I mean, we have thousands of people who call this their church home. It's astonishing. It blows me away. And I realize that a lot of people don't step out of their comfort zone, and they don't serve in some way either in the four walls of the church or outside of the four walls of the church, in their community. They don't serve in some way. And most of the time, it's because of three things. Sometimes it's because of overuse. Overuse. Burnout. You see, if you are a person who is given to serving and giving to helping other people, and you kind of have that in your heart, you might be in the medical profession, uh, you might be in ministry, you might be in uh, some caring or compassion profession, counseling in some way. You, you're in a profession, a line of work, and I've missed a lot of them, so don't send me an email. <laughs> but the point is, if you're in some line of work where you care for people, one of the tendencies you'll have to fight is burnout. Burnout. You try to do too much for too many. Uh, you are, listen, you are a limited resource there's so much, only so much of you. You only have so much of you you can give. And I want to tell you this morning, if you don't look out for you, ain't nobody going to look out for you. You have to get large and in charge and monitor the gauges of your life. You've got three gauges. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5, I pray to God your spirit and your soul and your body be preserved blameless unto the coming of the Lord. Listen, you're a physical person. You're an emotional person and you're a spiritual person. And all of us have gauges. We're limited resources. We only have so much fuel to get us through the day. Matthew 5, Jesus says, the, he said these words in the King Jimmy. He said, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof, meaning that you got enough to handle today without taking on the problems of tomorrow. And sometimes in a compassion and a caring mode, Sometimes in your effort to help and to try to serve other people, you don't watch the gauges of your own life and you burn out. You just say, I can't do this anymore. And you just check out. And the sad thing is, because you didn't watch the gauges and you didn't monitor the gauges, people have lost a, a wonderful person in losing you. You bring value to someone's life. Someone needs the influence that you have. God is not finished with you. If he was finished with you, he'd call you home. <laughs> so I'm saying, watch the gazes of your life. And one of the reasons people push back when I talk about serving and I talk about getting outside yourself and doing for others is because they say, been there, done that. And I've been burned out. So there's overuse. Here's the second one. Not just overuse, sometimes there's misuse. Misuse meaning you are the right person in the wrong job. <laughs> and boy, there's nothing worse, nothing more miserable than committing to something that's not really in your wheelhouse. You're not comfortable doing this. This is not who you are. This is not the person God's designed you to be. I mean, God doesn't make everyone to be outgoing. Not everybody can sing. Not everybody can speak. Not everybody has all those tools. He, he has equally equipped, equipped you with incredible abilities, and you may not be recognizing how gifted you really are. Nobody can do what God has created you to do in the way you can do it. 
Nobody can touch the lives that you can touch that God has strategically placed you in their lives in order to touch them. The Bible says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And I would tell you this, God don't make junk. <laughs> and what happens sometimes is God, will, a person will, with all that gifting and all that ability, they'll be the right person in the wrong job and they quit. For example, if you're not a people person, it's not that you hate people, you just don't like all of them, right? <laughs> you're not one of those outgoing, never meet a stranger kind of personalities. You're a behind the scenes kind of person, you're detail oriented, you have a lot of administrative gifts, you love that sort of thing. And all of a sudden, that's who you are. That's your wheelhouse. That's what you're great at. But you've been put in a job that's causing you and forcing you to be out and pressing the flesh. And it is killing you to do that. Uh, my Cindy Jean, she was not a get out in front of the, of, of, the, of the room and press the flesh person. She was wonderful one-on-one. -on -one. She loved that kind of interaction with people. But she just, oh man, it, it was hard for her to get on a stage and be able to speak. And in my profession, there was always an expectation, you know, that the spouse is going to kind of do that, even though she and I were very different in our personality types. Um, and so she struggled with that. She had a pastor's wife help her with a great resource one time, and the title of the book was simply this, Please Understand Me. Please Understand Me. And it was a book about giving you permission to be who God has created you to be and not who people thought or expected you to be. It was liberating for her. It was a wonderful moment when she realized, I don't have to be out there on the stage with Bill. I can be behind the scenes and I can be doing the things God has gifted me to do and bring as much value uh, to him as, as anyone else. And so it was just not how she was wired to do. And until the day she stepped into heaven, that was always her role. She was never really wired to, to do anything other than that. Now there's those people who are just like her. And you're kind of behind the scenes. You have these skills, gifts, and abilities. You want to get uh, really connected to someone with a, at a one-on-one -on -one level. And you're in a job that is forcing you to be someone that you're not, and you're unhappy in that job. Can I give you some real practical advice? Do something different. Life's too short to be unhappy. Life's too short to be that miserable. Back up and get in line with a profession or a line of work that's more in keeping with your skills, gifts, and abilities. Now, conversely, you may be a press the flesh kind of a person. You may be that person that never meets a, uh, never, you know, meets a stranger. You, you're amazing, and now you're in a job that you're never interacting with people, and you're unhappy doing that. Misuse. So I'm saying sometimes, guys, you have to stop and say, why is it that I kind of recoil at the thought of serving? Whether it's in church or in my community or with my job, it's just the thought of it just ties me in knots. Why is that? And you have to ask yourself, am I burned out? I'm not through that yet. I haven't replenished yet. And if that's the case, just chill and replenish. Resign from control of the world. It's going to keep spinning. <laughs> Sometimes you have to step back from your life a little bit, take a breath, and get, and get replenished. Uh, uh, so ask yourself that. Other, uh, you might be, uh, also you might be saying, I am doing something I absolutely hate to do. It is not who I'm gifted or called to do. And in that, you need to reevaluate it. It may be a transition period for you. You may have to find a new, you know, uh, way to start in your line of work that allows you to be more in line with your gifting and your ability, but it will keep you from being unhappy. So you have overuse. You have misuse. You ready for the third one? You have abuse. <laughs> abuse. 
There are organizations and even churches that will absolutely abuse the people who step up to serve. They'll just abuse you. They'll wear you out. They'll work you into the ground. <laughs> man, I love my dad. My brother's here this morning and his family. And, and man, I got some of my dad's old preaching Bibles up in my, uh, up in my office right now. And they, those things still smoke like old nuclear reactors. And my dad, man, he, if you signed up to serve in our church, you, you are going to serve, you ready, till Jesus comes back. There's no quitting, no giving up, no taking a break. You get in there and you serve. And from time to time, he'd bring one of those hard messages like better to vow, uh, not to vow than to vow a vow and not pay. He'd dangle them out over hell a little while and say, get down there and recommit to serving again. I'm running to the altar and go, wait a minute, I'm already serving. I'm done for one to go again. The point is, and I'm not saying he was abusive. I'm saying we had a philosophy in the church at that point that wasn't healthy. We didn't give people a chance to take, and we, we actually, honestly, uh, I'm not, the guy said, I'm not preaching now, I'm telling you the truth. This really happened. This guy, we had couples back then who would actually, it was easier for them to switch churches than to get out of a responsibility they had made in our church. They just go to another church before they'd say, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> I mean, he had the fear of God over them. I still walk by his grave and it scares me a little bit, you know. I'm just simply suggesting to you that there's sometimes you can get into a situation where it can be abusive, it's not healthy, where you're, you're, the demands are too high, and, and you won't stay in that very long. Um, you see, there's a difference between dumping and delegating. Maybe you've heard this. When you dump on someone, when you dump on them, you are giving them a responsibility that you wouldn't do but because they work for you, there's an expectation that they have to do it. And everybody resents that. I don't care who you are. If you manage people, uh, or you have people work for you, and if they have the impression that you're asking them to do something that you wouldn't do, that is beneath you, you won't keep them very long. It's called dumping. Now, delegating is different. When you delegate, you're saying to someone, this is important. I have done it, I would do it, I can't get to it, can you do this for me? And I'll be most grateful. Everybody gets that. I say, yeah, no problem, I'll do that for you. That's not a problem. See, there's a difference between dumping and delegating. So when you have people and you're wanting them to serve in your organization, you have to help them understand their value, make sure they're in an area of their gifts and callings, and make sure they're healthy and watching the gauges. And you have somebody who will probably serve for a long time. And Jesus set the beautiful example. When he was tired, the Bible says, the Son of Man sat down at the well and rested. I hear people from time to time say, well, that's just not who, who I'm wired to be. I, I just don't take time off and I don't take any time away. And then I had a friend one time say, I'd rather burn out as rust out. Well, that sounds tough. But have you ever thought about it, sport? Either way you go, you're out. You can burn out over here or you can rust out, but out is out slick and you're headed that way quick. And by the way, the devil doesn't care what gets you out just so you get out. You can burn yourself out or you can sit around and rust yourself out. He doesn't care. He wants you out. He doesn't want you serving anybody. And Jesus was tired. He rested. He took a nap in the bottom of the boat. Be like Jesus. <laughs> he watched the gauges of his life. He took care of himself. He was just as much God as though he were never man. But listen, he was just as much man as though he were never God. He ate when he was hungry. He rested when he was tired. He laughed when he needed a break. 
He took time away, went up in the mountains. He took time. He, he, he took a cruise across the waters of the Galilee. I'm just saying Jesus set the beautiful example of how do you serve for the long run, and there's something that is incredibly powerful that happens within us when we serve others. Paul was writing to the church at Galatians, in, in, in Galatia, rather, and in Galatians 5.14. Look at what Paul said. He said in verse 14, serve one another, notice it now, humbly in love. Humbly. Serve one another humbly and serve them in love. And he went on to say, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Paul said, man, if you really want to set the bar for your life, then love your neighbor as yourself. If you want to know what the standard of serving is, ask yourself, what do I need? Give what you need. What is the level of service that I need in my life? We'll give that. You know the biblical principle of friendship is if you want a friend, you be a friend. The worst indictment you could make about yourself is to say, I don't have a friend in the world. That's not an indictment on the world. That's an indictment on you. The Bible says in Proverbs 17, 17, if, if a person will have friends. Now, some people don't want friends. <laughs> he said, if you will. If a person should, would have a friend, here it is, show yourself to be friendly. Huh, duh. I had a friend tell me one time, he said, your best friend today was at one time a stranger to you, but somebody made the effort. There's a, listen, there's a locked-in law of likeness. Do you get the phrasing? A locked-in law of likeness that says, whatever you want, you give away. You want friendship? Be a friend. You want love, love. You want joy in your life, give joy. You need some mercy, give some mercy. You need some peace, be a peaceable person. <laughs> the Bible teaches that you know, if you live by the sword, you die by the sword, man. It is this locked in law of likeness. And I'm saying, man, whenever you're trying to measure the standard of service and you're trying to buy love, serve one another, say, well, what do I need? And that's the standard that I'll measure my service to other people. In fact, three powerful things I'll give you and we'll go home, give them to you quickly. The first thing is when you begin to serve, here's what you find. You find it provides comfort. It provides comfort. I've given you this text and it's lengthy in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4. I'll summarize it for you. But in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4, the apostle Paul is talking to the church at Corinth and he's saying one of the things that I found in my life is when I needed someone to serve me and to help me, no one was there for me. I mean, when you look at the context of that, Paul was really upset at the Christ followers at Corinth because he went through a devastating experience. He was beaten and left for dead, and nobody checked on him. And so what the church at Corinth did, they had heard Paul say, when I get through with this missionary journey, I'm going to come back and spend time with you, and I'm going to minister to you, and he didn't show. So ladies and gentlemen, what we had here was a failure to communicate where Paul should have told the church what he was going through, and the church should not have assumed the worst about Paul. Have you found that can happen in your life with people you know as well? Where you have this assumption that they should have known and they should have checked and they didn't, and then they have this thought that, well, he's, they've distanced themselves from me. And so, and so you, you have this lack of communication with one another, and you, and you, and you, you conjure up something that's not even close to the truth. 
Paul had been beaten and left for dead. And listen, there was no one there to come alongside of him and help him in that experience. And here's what happened to Paul when he went through that, when there was no one there for him. He found out God was there for him. He found out God had never left him. And can I suggest something to you? If you've ever been there where you felt like my church wasn't there for me, or my friends weren't there for me, or my family wasn't there for me, let me help you with your thinking. All that may be true. I mean, your perception of that might be pretty accurate. But can I tell you the one person who has never forsaken you and who has never left you is your Savior. He promised, I will never leave you or forsake you. That means I'll never remove myself physically from you, and I'll never emotionally detach from you. It's the only two ways whereby we're connected to each other, physically and emotionally. And Paul said, when I went through that experience of my life where there was no one there for me, and I went through this desperate time in my life, what I found was, when you read that narrative I've just given you, is God was there to comfort and to console me. God was there for him. And again, I would tell you, it could be that the reason God has removed everyone from your life so there's no one there but him is so that you might realize when he's all you have, he's all you need. And so Paul was learning to depend on God. He was learning to trust God. And by the way, here's the takeaway of that great passage. Paul said, God gave me something through that experience that equipped me, are you ready for this, to help somebody else. The comfort I received is now going to be something that I can give to someone. The consolation I received is going to be something I can give to someone else. The encouragement I received from God is going to be something I can give to someone else. You know why that's important? Because you cannot give what you don't have any more than you can come from where you've not been. And sometimes, man, God strips the people away from you. He strips the support base away from you where all you have is him, where you realize he's all you need. And in that moment, you find a strength you didn't know you had, and you find the presence through God's spirit that you didn't even know was there. You ever go into a jewelry store, and when you pick out an item that you want to look at, the salesperson will always put that item against a very dark backdrop, and then they'll lay the item on top of it. Well, the reason they're putting the item on that dark backdrop is because you can't really see the beauty and the brilliance of it until it's against a dark backdrop. And for some of us, God sometimes strips everything away, the people away, the support base away, and he puts our life against a dark backdrop so people around you can see the beauty and the brilliance of your life, and they can just see exactly who you are. Paul said, when I began to realize the power of comfort and the power of encouragement, the things that I'd received from God was going to impact someone else, I realized that I can be his instrument of grace and I can be his instrument of mercy. Listen, who better to help a broken person than somebody who's been broken? Who's better to help somebody who married some jerk than somebody who had married a jerk? <laughs> Who better to help somebody navigate through the loss of a loved one than somebody who's lost a loved one? I'm just saying your brokenness, your brokenness uniquely qualifies you to help people. And God will sovereignly put somebody in your path who needs what you've learned through your experience. I'm just saying when you get outside yourself, it provides comfort. Number two, 
it will protect community. It will protect community. In Acts chapter 4, again, it's a lengthy passage. It's in your notes, 32 down through there. I'm not going to take time to read it because I've pretty much burnt the clock here. So bear with me. I'll summarize. The church was going through a, a time of duress and stress. And so they began to minister and serve one another. They weren't serving one another out of the sense of everything's going great and I'm in a time of great success. They were all getting hammered. They were all going through persecution. And it was during that time of persecution and stress that they got outside themselves and they started helping people. There was a, there was a Greek word that you see in this narrative called koinonia, and I touched on it last week. It means two things. It means to share something with somebody you do on social media, hey, pray for me, or hey, I, I, you know, here's what I'm going through. Right? That's to share something with someone. That's one level. The second level is to share in something with someone. That's when you drop into their life and you kind of walk with them through that experience. That's what this church was doing. And in the midst of persecution, they found protection because they had each other's backs. And the church was sharing and helping and loving on one another and that happened when they got outside of themselves and started serving others. So, it will provide comfort. It will protect community. Here's the third thing it does. It will promote camaraderie. It will promote camaraderie. 1 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about the body, the church, like a, like a physical body. He says the, phys the physical body has an eye. The eye is a tender part. The body has a hand. The hand is a tough part. And then he says, no healthy body ever looked at a part and said, I don't have any need of you. And then he went on to say that a healthy body is a body that functions when one piece of the body suffers, the whole body suffers with it. It is so well connected. In other words, everyone who's a member of this body is so connected into the life of the body that when one person goes through something and hurts, everybody hurts for them. Isn't that a healthy body? In other words, you've never hit your thumb with a hammer and looked at your thumb and said, I'm glad that wasn't me. <laughs> I mean, why? Because this thumb is connected to this body. And when this member hurts, the whole body hurts with it. And you've never looked at a part of your body and said, I really don't need that. I got two eyes, I can do it with one. No, no healthy body ever looks. You value the parts of the body. We have people in our church who are tender. We have people in our church who are tough. We have people in our church who do outside things. They're, 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 they're very visible. They do things. There's people like the organs of a body that work internally, that function in some way, that aren't seen as much as other people, but they're just as vital. And what Paul was saying is, man, when you find where you fit, and the life of the body, and then you begin to function with unction, and you begin to serve in that capacity, you'll develop some relationships and friendships like you've never had before. It will promote, and it will protect, and it will provide camaraderie. One of the best things I could encourage you to do as we kind of approach our Christmas Eve services is if you, if you haven't really gotten accustomed to serving, maybe you do some things in the community, maybe you do some things uh, you know, with, at work, but you hadn't done much you know, yet, you hadn't had an opportunity with the church, uh, we can give you a great opportunity. We got those four Christmas Eve services and we need help. So think about it and pray about it. And just as you're inviting someone to attend, you might attend a service and then serve a service. That kind of works, doesn't it? And then you could be a part of get, kind of getting outside yourself and helping the church during that season. 
I'm just saying, guys, whether it's in the church or in your community or on your job, God designed us to serve others. There's a great principle. Let me give you this. We'll go to the house. The second time I've said that, so you know, we're right here at the door. We're honest to God about to go. None of us lives to ourselves alone. None of us died ourselves alone. We need each other. We need people. Whether you're that outgoing person or you're that quiet behind the scenes person, God designed us for relationships. Someone as well said probably the most powerful word in the English, English language is relationships. We need them. And one of the things that happen in the life of a church is you develop relationships, you develop friendships. And if you haven't yet find that point of connection, one of the ways to find it is to take the first step, kind of get outside yourself and begin to serve. I heard a great story from, our, uh, from a family who served this past uh, weekend in our help out center. Had the kids up here and they were just seeing the kids as they were helping these families who needed help. And I'm so proud of the work that our church is able to do. I mean, we've given away nearly $2 million in food this last year alone. Isn't that incredible? And it's just because of the, yeah, that's something to applaud. And it's just because we've had a, man, we just got a group of people who believe in the vision and believe in what we're doing and they support it and they show up and they volunteer. If you're looking for a great place to step up and say, I'm going to get my toe wet by checking it out one of these weekends, you'd be amazed. You hear us talking about it. It's different to hear it than to actually show up here one weekend and experience it. I'm just telling you. Uh, I, I can tell you what it tastes like, but until you take a bite, you're not going to know. It's that. And so when you do that, that's a great entry level of serving in the life of our church, either on the Christmas Eve service weekends or just sign up and say, while the kids are out of school, we want to pick a time where we can come up and help uh, with that help out center. All right. Well, that's all I got to say. You know, you need to quit when you run out of things to say, don't you think? I hate, you know, a, a good sermon is when I finish before you do. So I hope, I've, hope we've done that. Um, I'm glad you're here this morning. Let me pray over you and we'll go. Father, thank you for the folks who are here today. Thank you for a great weekend, beautiful weather. Thank you for the season. And Lord, we realize there are people going through some tough stuff during this time of the year. So our church and these weekend services are really designed to help people navigate that, to move from the holiday blues to experience your resounding joy. So Father, I pray you'll bless us as we leave. I pray for my friends today, Father, who are watching and some in the room who has who never trusted you as Savior. I pray this would be the moment where they humble their heart, swallow their pride, and say, Lord Jesus, with all that I know about me, I now trust all that I know about you. Come into my heart, forgive my sin, and this I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us by visiting metchurch.com so that we can follow up with you this week. We look forward to seeing you next week.